My name is Ethan Fordham. Uh, I serve as a deacon here at Renovation Church, and uh, as always, I'm grateful for the opportunity uh, to be up here uh, and get to just preach God's word. Um, yeah. If you could uh, ask God for anything in this moment, right now, and expect any, oh, and children, you could go. Sorry about that. Ah, <laughs> oh, dang. <laughs> I don't do this often. Um, great. Please start. If you could ask God for anything in this moment right now and expect an immediate response and immediate fulfillment, what would you ask for? Is it be debt-free? To get rid of the college loans? New car? Gotta get, gotta get that other one. Gotta get that out of here. It's falling apart. The AC doesn't work anymore. Right? Like, whatever we expect, we just want it to be better than what we have right now. We want something better. See, our desires in the moment really shape or reveal what we hope for in the future. And I got just one illustration, one example for, with this. When I was a kid, uh, I prayed this prayer. I prayed to God, Lord, and God, I'm like 12, okay? So forgive me. I prayed to the Lord. I said, God, I know Jesus is coming soon. I know it could be any day now. But if you could just hold off, I really, really, really want to see the 2003 Incredible Hulk movie. <laughs> like, that would just be so great, Jesus, if you could just hold off and so I could see that movie. And if anybody has seen that movie, it was bad. It was really, really bad. But my desire in the moment shaped my hope. I thought, really, revealed that seeing the Incredible Hulk movie has just got to be better than Jesus coming back. It's got to be. But when that was fulfilled, I, I realized it just did not satisfy. And you know, we're going through the series right now, Diagnosis, and our question from the book this morning is, do you yearn to be with Jesus in heaven? Do you yearn to be with Jesus in heaven? This really gets at hope. What do we hope in? What do you hope in? So when we read this passage this morning, what we see is what God promises for the future is better than what the world gives us in the present. And I'm going old school. I have three points this morning, and I'm giving them all to you right off the bat. Three points. What God promises for the future is better than what we have in the present. And we know this, that it's better based on God's picture of eternity. And we know that it's better based on God's promise of salvation. And we know that it's better based on God's warning of judgment. Our text this morning comes from Revelation 21, verses 1 through 8. If you could open your Bibles to that, it's the last book in the Bible if you're not familiar. It'll be displayed 
uh, on the screen here. It's Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 8. This is God's word. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake of fire that burns with sulfur, which is the second death. This is God's holy and right word. In our culture today, we, we're always seeking after the next best thing, right? Like, the, what's going to be better? The next best thing, something that's, that's new, right? We get new phone. We got, a, we got the new car, you know? We got the new shoes, the new house, the new job. But on a long enough timeline... Everything new eventually becomes old. It decays. It falls apart. It goes away. We throw it away. It goes to the landfill. Everything new eventually becomes old. But what we have in this passage, in this opening verse, what John sees in this vision, a new heaven and a new earth, it's totally new. It's perfect. It's wonderful. And the first heaven and the first earth pass away, and the sea along with it. And if we, a little confusing, right? The sea, like what does that mean? It's really the, the instability, the uncertainty, the corruption, and the chaos which characterize this present world. Those things will pass away, and we will have a new creation. In the new creation, God renovates everything. He takes the old and he gets rid of it and it will be totally and completely new. And you know what? It'll never be old. It will never grow old. It will always be new. This picture that God gives us is not a picture that grows old. And it's not even one that has to be preserved. It's, it's perfect complete, and we will one day experience this picture. 
And we see God's picture, it continues in this passage. It continues. And we see that the next thing is a wedding. The next picture God shows us is one of a wedding. Yeah. Oh, yeah. In verse 2, he says, that, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. You know, I remember, it was a little over a year ago, I was getting ready to marry my wife. It was the morning of. I was, I was excited. I was dressed up. I was looking I was looking better than I have in my entire life, and since and since as well, uh, I was looking. I was looking good, and I was excited. I was so ready to meet with my bride. And so I'm standing up there, and I got Bernie. Bernie's to my left, or by my right, and I got all my dudes to my left. I'm ready. I see coming down the aisle. My wife's mother and brother, thank you guys, love you guys, thanks for being here. Take a seat. <laughs> and then I see my, my mom and my stepdad. Oh, I love you guys, great. Proceed. And then, uh, and then my dad and my stepmom. I love you, dad, love you. Nancy, please proceed. Let's, uh, let's go. And then here comes our bridesmaids. It's like, oh, wonderful, great. I'm, I'm not here for any of you guys. You can just go over there. And there she is. My bride. All decked out. Beautiful. Wonderful. Splendid. I was meeting my bride. So what we have in this verse is nothing short of Christ meeting with his bride, the church, the people of God. In this moment, we see in this great meeting, the church will meet with her husband, Christ Jesus, our Lord. In this moment, all of our desires to see our God, our Savior, our heavenly husband face to face will be, re be revealed. It will occur. It'll be perfect. It'll be wonderful. And it will be great. And for you who are married, you know this reality. Our marriage reflects it. Your marriages reflect it. The greatness and the joy to be had, though, in meeting with Christ is greater. But even some here who have suffered the pain, the rending of the flesh, of a, of a one flesh union, divorce, this great joy to be married to Christ is yours. You can hope in it. And you who are single, who have never experienced the great joys of marriage, you will one day experience the greatest joy of being married 
and in heaven with Christ Jesus our Lord. Is this your hope? Do you hope for this to be with Christ Jesus in glory forever? The Lord's picture continues in verses 3 and 4. And this part of the picture is a great comfort to those who are grieving and suffering in this present life. Please read with me. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Here we're called to behold, look, pay attention. You who are suffering in this life, grieved by present trials, cares, and concerns, this is a great hope and comfort to you in this moment. All of the suffering, it'll end. And God himself will dwell with us. And nothing will separate that. Nothing will come in between us and God in this place. And you know, the whole of Scripture points to this reality. It points to God's desire to dwell with a people. In the, in the garden, Adam and Eve had it, but that was broken by their sin. In uh, the Israelites, you know, they, they had it in the tabernacle, in the temple. It was a symbol of God's uh, dwelling with them. But their continued sinfulness and rebellion kept them from unhindered communion with the holy God. See, all the Old Testament pictures of God dwelling with his people, they weren't, they weren't full pictures. It wasn't the full story. They all pointed to something greater. And we see the beginning of the fuller revelation of God dwelling with his people with Christ Jesus his coming to dwell with us in, the, in his work of redemption. That he came to, to save a people. And through his great salvation, we have communion with God right now. Those who believe and belong to Jesus have communion with God. But it's still not the full picture. No. No. It can't be. It can't be. There's still so much sin and suffering and sorrow in this world. The Centers for Disease Control reported recently hundreds of thousands of people die from cancer on a yearly basis. The National Institute of, of Mental Health reported that 17.3 million American adults uh, are afflicted with uh, depressive disorders. Just recently, we had two mass public shootings 
in one 24-hour period. Right? And we don't even need to look to the news. We don't even need to look outside of ourselves to know that the sufferings and the, the evils of this life are still ever present. You know, at best, right, like the knees, they don't work like they used to, and it's getting a little harder to bend over every single day. <laughs> but it, some of you, maybe you got a call from the doctor recently, and things aren't, aren't looking so great at all. Others of you have experienced the pains of divorce. Some of you have lost children. Things like miscarriage. Some here maybe have experienced and been the victim of sexual assault. We all know the sufferings of this life all too well. And we all want to know when is this going to end. In his first coming, Christ came to save us from our sin, to pay the price and the penalty for our sinfulness. And he has made us right with God and has justified us and is sanctifying us. But in his second coming, Christ comes to dwell with us for eternity, forever, in a glorious state where there will be no sin, no death, no mourning, no sorrow, and he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. In that place, we will be with the Lord forever. Hear these words again from verses uh, um, 3 and 4. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. This is something to hope in. This is something to hope for. But we really need to ask ourselves, do we want this? It's, we, everybody, the, the world wants suffering to end. The world wants suffering to end. You know, we, we legislated new laws in our country to, to make things better. We're working toward a utopia. We have social reform. We have revolutions with a, this idea that someday it's just, it's gonna, we're going to make it better. But the reality is, is that a utopia, a heaven, without God and without his presence is no heaven at all. No heaven at all. Unbelievers want suffering to end. But as believers, we hope in a heaven that is fulfilled in God's presence. All of our hopes for heaven 
are really just hopes to be with our God, to be with our Lord, to worship and to commune with Him for eternity. And you know what? Because of God's perfections and His wonders, like, we can't even imagine it. We're going to learn and we're going we're gonna to learn about God for eternity because we can't comprehend him even in perfection. We're going to worship him for eternity because he is worthy of all worship and honor and glory. Heaven is fulfilled in God's presence. And one day we will get that. But we do need to wrestle with whether or not we want that. We need to wrestle with that. What God promises for the future is better than what the world gives us in the present. And we know this based on God's picture of eternity. We also know it based on God's promise of salvation. Please read verses 5 through 7 with me. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things New. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I and I will be his God, and he will be my son. A great call issues from the throne of God. And the Lord makes a promise to those who long to be with him. And this promise isn't like our promises. Definitely not like our promises, right? Like, I promise I'll do the dishes. Whoops. My wife is nodding in an affirming way right now. I promise I'll, I'll do the laundry. Whoops. See, our promises are always stained by our weaknesses. But it is not so with God's promises. His promises are trustworthy and true. He will do it. And we know this, and, it, or God, and God backs it by his own, his own being, who he is and his nature and his character, that he is the alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. That God is the Almighty, the Sovereign One, supreme over creation, supreme over creation's beginning and end, and our beginning and our end. He created all things for His glory, and He brings it all about, to, uh, brings it all to completion for His glory. He does this because he is sovereign. He is in control. He is working all things to a conclusion. What great comfort and hope does that, should that produce in us? That our God is a God who is sovereign and in control. That he is supreme. The Lord's supremacy and sovereignty over history, are meant to assure us of his great promises in salvation. And we see, continuing 
that to the thirsty, he gives water without payment. And to the one who conquers an inheritance that is incomparable. As the Supreme One, he gives life to the thirsty without payment. That's important. Without payment. Right? This is 21st century America. This is the story of America. Work. We work. We work. You know, I get a paycheck every two weeks that says, I worked. Right? We all do. We, you know, bootstraps, right? That... <laughs> We work. We work in this life. But the reality is, in this passage, with salvation, we can't work for it. We cannot work for salvation. It is a free gift without payment. Without payment. We cannot work for our salvation in Christ. Christ came and he did it all. And there's nothing that we add to it. Nothing. And we cannot work for it, but come to Christ in humble faith and accept it. But the reality is, is this free gift, we, there's something, we can't let that produce in us a kind of spiritual laziness. Right? Like, like God did it all, so I'm just going to I'm going to kick it on my spiritual couch. No. We see in this passage that we are called to conquer. To conquer. When it says the one who conquers will have this heritage, John Piper notes the word conquer is used about a dozen times in Revelation to refer to the victory of the saints, which brings them into the blessings of eternal life. So we live in a a postmodern culture right now in a world that's always beckoning and calling us to compromise our faith. Give up. Give up your silly religion and, and enjoy prestige in the, in the enlightened class. Give up. All of that God stuff, it's just so antiquated now. Give up. Move on. The world is always calling us to compromise our faith. But when we read this passage, we see that we cannot. We cannot fall prey to the, the schemes of the world. We cannot fall prey to its demands. We fight. We fight. We conquer. We persevere to the end. We persevere. All the blessings of full redemption, that's what we're moving toward. The full uh, redemption in Christ Jesus in heaven. We fight. We move toward that. As God's adopted sons and daughters, we fight. Are you thirsty? Go to Jesus. Are you tired and broken by this life? Rest in God's loving embrace as a son or daughter and anticipate all that he has for us in the new creation and fight. The full salvation in the next life is better than anything the world can offer. 
To what God promises for the future is better than what the world gives us in the present. And we know it's better based on God's promises of salvation. We also know it's better based on God's warning of judgment. See, the reality is, is we all fail. We all fall. We all fail to do all of the things that we ought to do, right? We sin by commission and by omission. Sin is so pervasive throughout our life, we fail. But thanks be to God that Christ Jesus has done everything, that he fulfilled the law perfectly, and that we rest and we have peace and comfort in him. But we must be aware. We must be aware of the temptations and the pitfalls of this present life that would that seek to ensnare us, to hold us captive, to steal from us true and abiding life and hope in Christ. Would you please read verse 8 with me? But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. This is a warning of God's coming judgment. God's judgment is coming against sin. I'm sure many of you heard recently about the death uh, and the charges brought against uh, Jeffrey Epstein, a man who is charged with many wicked, heinous crimes, killed himself, ended his own life in a prison cell in Manhattan. There's a real tragedy in that because our justice system, let's just listen to the New York Times recently, in our justice system when a case like this happens and the, uh, the perpetrator uh, kills themselves or they die, the case just gets thrown away. Who do you put on trial? You can't put a dead man on trial. I understand. And for the victims of Epstein, there's a real sense that justice can't be, uh, justice can't, can't happen now. That the victims will never receive justice. But God knows and now Jeffrey Epstein knows. God's judgment comes for all of us. As Christians, we need to heed this warning. We need to heed this warning. And for us, it's not a threat of punishment. It can't be. But a loving warning. Almost as a parent who has a, a son or a daughter running toward the road. And they say, stop! Wait! Don't go any further. If you continue down this path, it will only lead to destruction. It is loving for a parent to do so, is it not? Every parent here would do that. Of course, you would yell at your kid, whoa, no. This is what the Lord is doing for us right now. It is a loving and gracious warning. And it, to hold firm, to hold firm, to be 
aware of God's judgment coming for sin, but to hold firm to God's picture of eternity and to believe and to hope in the salvation that God promises. To have true and abiding hope in Christ. And those who do not, this passage calls, uh, they calls them liars, cowards, faithless and detestable. The love of this world and this present life can rob us of true and abiding love and hope in Christ. Right? Like what we love most reveals who we serve. It could be so many things. It could be our careers. It could be a paycheck, our money, our bank accounts, our savings, our houses, our cars. You know what? These things are not evil in and of themselves. They are a great blessing from God. What a great blessing it is that we have a building around us right now. What a great blessing it is for that each of us has a home. What a great blessing it is to have a car that gets us from point A to point B. Great blessings, great blessings. But we are never very far from turning God's great blessings into a destructive idol. Into a destructive idol. Our attitudes towards God's blessings can rob us of true abiding life in Christ. But not only the, the love of this world, but also the threats. The threats of this world. Right? We just talked about it a moment ago. Um, the culture, again, always calling us, always beckoning us, compromise your faith, leave it behind. And people do back out because of the world's demands. People do abandon faith in Christ because of those, because of the world's demands. The world says, will you embrace our revolution? Will you embrace evil? Will you say evil is good and that good is evil? Will you help us in reversing God's order in this universe and overthrowing him and his glory? The world is always, always calling us around every corner. We must not allow love for this world nor the threats of this world to keep us from striving toward the goal, the glory of God and eternal life in Christ Jesus. Neither worldly goods nor cultural fame are worth it. They're not worth God's glory. They're not worth salvation in Christ Jesus. But abide in Christ Jesus. Abide in Him in his righteousness, in his holiness, in the justification that he brings about for his people, abide in Christ in union with him, and we are safe from God's wrath because he has absorbed it and taken it on for us on the cross. Abide in Christ. Only he can bring you safely to God. But for those of us here 
who maybe do not profess Christ. Please, please hear me. The Lord will judge the sin of this world. The Lord is coming to judge the world. There is no escaping it. And God must do it because he is good. We serve a good God. And a good God must punish sin. Just as a good judge punishes a criminal. But the reality is, is we are all criminals before the Lord. And we will either be found in Christ's righteousness, forgiven, or we will not be. The end of those who choose sin and evil, the end of those who continue in unrepentant sin and rebellion, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. There's no way to make this pretty. None at all. Hell is a very real and frightening place. And it is the destination of all who are not found in Christ Jesus. And in that place, the gracious presence of our Lord is lifted. And the evils of men are loosed. And sinners will experience God's eternal wrath and judgment over sin. He must do it. He will do it. But, as Jonathan Edwards put it in his sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, now you have an extraordinary opportunity, a day wherein Christ thrown the doors of mercy wide open and stands in calling and crying with a loud voice to poor sinners. There is an escape from hell, and it is only in Christ Jesus our Lord. It is only clothed and adorned in his righteousness that we find an escape from the awful wrath of God from the terrible place of hell, only in Christ Jesus, our Lord, to those who call on Christ. Now you will find him to be a perfect Savior. He will save you from your sins. And for those of us who love Jesus, we have confidence. We have assurance because Christ Jesus has done it all. Heed God's warning of judgment in this passage. This is for us who profess Christ and for those who do not. God's justice comes for everyone and we will either be found in our sin and our unrighteousness or we will be adorned in Christ's righteousness. For those who belong to Christ, God's judgment of sin is better and love for this world. So what this passage gives us is a great hope. A great hope that in God's picture we see a perfect heaven and earth, perfection, newness, 
a perfect place in which we will behold our Savior face to face, and we will be with him for eternity. What great joy, what great hope that ought to create in us in this present life. And we see that God will dwell with us, and that we will dwell with him, and we will be his people for eternity. What great joy, what great hope that ought to create in us now that is so much greater than what we have right now. And all the pain and the sorrow and the sufferings of this present life, all of the tears that we weep, all of the mourning we experience, the loss of a loved one, of a child, of a friend, no more. No more. In that place, Christ, our Lord, our God, our Father, will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And death will be no more because it will be under Christ's feet in judgment. The Lord will be with us and he will satisfy our whole soul completely and for all eternity. And what great joy and a hope we have in the present salvation that the Lord gives us. That he who is sovereign over the beginning and the end is sovereign to save. And he is sovereign to do it without payment. Only the payment, a payment that we can't afford, but only the payment of his precious son and his blood. That the son of God would come, he would dwell on earth with sinful men that he would obey God's law perfectly and provide righteousness. And that he on the cross would bear our sin and our iniquity and God's wrath against it. And that he would raise to life and see, sit at God's right hand, assuring us of his rule and his reign now. What great hope and joy we have in Christ Jesus, our Savior. Better. Better than anything the world can offer. And even judgment. What great hope. What great hope that God, our good and perfect judge, will judge sin. That sin is, is judged in Christ. But the last enemy to be laid underneath his feet is death. God will judge sin. And that should be a great comfort. That should be a great hope for us. A sad one, maybe. But what God is doing, what God will do in the future is better. What God promises for the future is far better than what the world gives us in the present. All glory and praise belong to him. Please pray with me. Our great and heavenly Lord and God and Father, we come to you in Christ Jesus' name. 
and we praise you for this great hope and assurance that you give us. For this amazing picture, Lord, that you have not left us in the darkness, that you have not left us to suffer in this world and wonder, what is God even doing? No, Lord, in your word, in your perfect and wonderful word, you have shown us that we have a great hope, that we have great assurance in Christ Jesus. Oh, God, change us that we would love you above all, that we would seek, God, your presence in the future, now, that we would every day anticipate and wait for your perfect heavenly, uh, for your perfect earthly kingdom. Oh God, satisfy our souls with that fountain of life, Christ Jesus. And grant to us every spiritual grace that we may serve and follow you all the days of our lives. And Lord, keep us from temptation. And deliver us from evil. And be glorified until your kingdom comes on earth. Oh God, we love you. And we anticipate this great and glorious day. Be glorified, O God, we pray in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.